You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Well, let's turn to scripture now. So we're going to head into the word and into the message. We're in Luke 2. Just a portion of this. We're going to hear the wider reading in a week on Christmas Eve. Pete's going to read for us this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Well, with that open before us, we've got one week to go till Christmas. And I look forward to the preparations this week. I don't don't know how you're feeling about it, but whether it's here at church or at home, my wife Esther laid out all the Christmas Eve outfits on the back of the couch yesterday to make sure everything's accounted for, the sizes, the colors, and all that. And then later in the day, the same day, yesterday, our 11-year-old is outside playing football with his cousins in his Christmas Eve pants. And Esther said to him, please just try to make it to next weekend without holes in your Christmas Eve pants. So that's the goal. Good advice for all of us. And just a reminder again, Michelle emphasized it. But we'll say it again, especially even to catch live stream in case you'd be tuning in next week, that we do not have morning services next Sunday. This has to do with how the fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve coincide. So we won't be here in the morning. Instead, just one Christmas Eve worship service at 2 o'clock next Sunday. Some of you would have, hopefully many of you, received a letter in the mail this week from the church, and we included our Christmas Eve invite these invite cards, and we have extras here as well today. We'd love for you to take that with to work this week, or maybe still in school a few more days before Christmas break. But we want to be a church that's invitational. We know that there are many people in our community who don't know about Jesus yet, even right where we live. I was driving through my neighborhood on the way in this morning and just praying for the houses on my left and my right as I drove by. And so whatever context you're in, You know, many of us can tell a story of coming to church for the first time because somebody we know invited us to come. So we'd encourage you to use that and invite people to come and hear about the one who has made the difference in your life. Today marks the third Sunday in Advent, so we've got three candles lit there on the Advent wreath. It's a special time of preparation, and it's kind of unique. Next week we'll come back and we'll light the rest of them, so two more candles will be lit next week as we come back for Christmas Eve worship. 
During Advent, we've been highlighting these different Advent hymns or Christmas carols, a different one each Sunday, and we're going to do that again today. The song is Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and this is actually our second one in the list of four that is by Charles Wesley. The first, two weeks ago, the first Sunday of Advent was Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, also written by Wesley. And since two weeks ago, we gave quite a bit of history about who he was and his life for that first song. We'll do less of that today. So if you missed it, you could go back and hear more about Charles Wesley. I'd like to touch on a couple new things, and then we'll keep moving. And what I'd like to do more of today is to spend time on the text of this song. Because from a content perspective, this song is one of the very best Christmas carols there is. Many people would argue, you know, theologians or folks like that would say this is probably the richest, the best Christmas hymn that we have. So we want to take a look at that. And in doing so, the text that Wesley wrote will automatically drive us to our Bibles. And so we'll be able to make a lot of connections to the biblical context. As for Luke chapter 2 and some of what Pete just read for us, we're going to touch on a portion of that, but really come back next week Christmas Eve, and we'll walk through the story in Luke 2, the story of Jesus' birth. But for today, hark the herald angels sing, and what out of the Bible inspired Charles Wesley to write? One of the things we did two weeks ago was talk about Charles Wesley's mother, a woman named Susanna. I mentioned at that time that she, and this was in the 1600s, the late 1600s, she had 19 children, and she was a remarkable woman for a number of reasons. A few on the list, she provided a superb education for her kids. Secondly, she was a spiritual leader at home and in the church. And third, she was highly regarded for her parenting. And so today I want to share with you her 16 rules of parenthood that still today gets circulated and, and put into print. I've got a green half sheet that's on the tables. I want to thank Tara and Michelle from our team who helped get these ready for today. I adapted this from a publication called The Mother's Heart. And so you can grab that green sheet and if you're on the live stream, you can message us or email us and we'll get that sent to you within the next day or so. What I'm going to do is highlight eight of the 16 just to give us a sense of who she was and the wisdom that she had. Now keep in mind as, as we hear these that these are from over 300 years ago. And so you might have to adapt certain elements, but the principles are rock solid. I just wanted to share this before we get into the hymn as some insight into Charles Wesley and his family and as an inspiration for those of us who are parenting or grandparenting or have kids under our care. So from Susanna Wesley's 16 Rules of Parenthood. Number one, eating between meals is not allowed. Isn't that a wild one? I tried imagining just instituting that in my house for a day. There would be just mutiny on hand. This goes so counter to American snack culture, but an interesting one. Number five, to teach a child to pray as soon as he can speak. I love that one. That, that one is so good. Number seven, give them nothing that they cry for 
and only that when asked for politely. Number nine, never allow a sinful act to go unpunished. A few more here. Number 10, never punish a child twice for a single offense. You can see throughout these the the balance of grace and truth. Uh, Number 11, comment and reward good behavior. Number 12, any attempt to please, even if poorly performed, should be commended. Such wisdom in that one. And number 15, require no daughter to work before she can read well. This was revolutionary in the time that she was living. The problem back then was as soon as a girl could sew or had some skill like that, they'd pull her out of school because she could then provide income for the family. And Susanna knew that this was short-sighted and that her daughters were far better served getting a quality education. So, aren't those good? Something to take home with you. And uh, in the, the little paragraph that's at the top of that green sheet, I just want to read a couple lines there. It says, Through much adversity, she dedicated her life to instilling a sense of Christian destiny into each of her children. Her children went on to change the world. And one of those children, of course, was Charles Wesley. So, like I said, we won't share much more about him today since we did that so thoroughly last time. I will remind us just of a couple highlights. He started a prayer meeting in college, a discipleship group. He was at Oxford and that was the beginnings of what would become the Methodist movement that swept across England and the British Isles and America, our own country. Charles and his brother John logged all kinds of hours in the saddle, and they would go from town to town sharing the gospel. Uh, John, his brother, is actually even more famous than Charles, and uh, they say he spent so much time riding horseback, he could have circled the globe ten times. That's how many miles he rode. Charles was the songwriter of the duo, and he was constantly writing. He would write in his head as he'd be on the horse, And he would have to stop on regular occasion along at a house and he'd run inside to ask if he could borrow pen and paper to write down what he had come up with. All in all, he wrote over 9,000 hymns in his lifetime. And today we look at another great example, his song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So I've included the song text this morning. It's on the back side of the green half sheet that we had. And I did that because I think this is a hymn where we're going to have a lot of occasion to just jot notes to the right. So you can see there's blank space to the right of the verses. And in that margin, feel free to use that for any notes or Bible verses especially that we will highlight. Andrew shared last week in the message that these songs have a lot of old words. The song last week was, What Child Is This? Words that are not as familiar to us anymore. And so we're going to run into that again. Here, the very first word of this song is hark. Hark. What does hark mean? I want to give you some examples of other places that this word has been used and see if you can discern what its meaning is. In fact, I I have a little game I thought we would play where we'll call it Who Said It? Where I'm going to give you three lines, three quotes using hark, and then you get to guess who said it. Was it Martin Luther... William Shakespeare, 
or the old rocker Van Morrison. Was it Sesame Street that used to have this, one of these things is not like the other? So that's Van Morrison in this list. Okay, so here's the three, and then you can tell me what you think it is. Hark how hard he fetches breath. Hark how hard he fetches breath. Who said it? I hear S.H. Shakespeare. Yes, that's right. That's Shakespeare. Next example. Hark now hear the sailors cry. Smell the sea and feel the sky. Any guesses on that one? That's Van Morrison. Now you would have immediately known that had I kept the line going. Let your soul and spirit fly into the mystic. I told you he's an old rocker, right? So that's Van Morrison. And then uh, we know the third one because we haven't had it yet. Hark how the devil is huffing and blowing. Classic Martin Luther from the 16th century. So what does hark mean? It means listen. Listen carefully. Pay close attention. And so what are we listening to? In this case, we then have the rest of the line. The herald angels sing. So hark or listen, listen carefully, the herald angels are singing. But there again, we already have the next word to figure out. What is a herald angel? What is a herald angel? A herald is an official messenger. That's why some newspapers in our country are called the herald. I was thinking of the Boston Herald as an example. It's an official news bearer. A herald is someone who brings news, who announces something, who proclaims something. If we went back to Shakespeare, we'd find he called the lark, the bird, the lark, the herald of the morn. So a herald angel is a messenger angel sent by God to announce good news. The angel says to the shepherd in what Pete read for us, Luke 2.10, I bring you good news. I'm a herald angel. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And then he shares the news in the text. He's a herald angel, and that night he is joined by a whole bunch of herald angels who sing over the shepherd's field. In Wesley's words in the song, we then have a recap of what they sang. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, and mercy mild. And that means mercy that is gentle in nature. God and sinners reconciled. So these words not only summarize what the angels were singing that night, but they also summarize the gospel. This is the good news that God brings mercy to us. We were in need of mercy, of forgiveness. And God steps in. He meets us right where we're at sinful and far away from God and he comes to us and he reconciles our relationship with God. He closes the gap. Let's go to verse 2 of the song. Keep moving here. This is where the theology of the song, I think, in verse 2 really starts to take off. It starts with praise. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. And then it says, late in time, Behold him come. What does that mean? When we hear late in time, what do we usually think of? Somebody's running late. They're behind schedule. 
Well, that's not what it means here. Jesus is not running late. He's not behind schedule. Not then, not now. What the phrase refers to is the last days, which is a phrase right out of the Bible. The book of Hebrews begins like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, Hebrews 1-2, he has spoken to us by his Son. So when it says Jesus comes late in time, it means he comes as the culmination of all time in history. All that God has been doing is moving towards this point This is the time period that's foretold in Scripture that's often called in the Bible the last days. And then look at what comes next in the text. These powerful descriptors of Jesus' identity that just come one after another, line by line. It says, offspring of a virgin's womb. And here's where you can start to write in that little Scripture reference and take this home and you can follow up and use it as a devotional this week. Write Isaiah 7.14. Or if you just want to abbreviate, I-S-A 7.14. That is the Old Testament prophecy fulfilled here that the Savior would be supernaturally conceived and born of a virgin. Next line. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Godhead as a, again, an older word, it's not one that we commonly use. We would use the term Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the Godhead. And so this line is describing the incarnation or what it means that God became human. God was veiled or covered in flesh at Christmas, and you could see him. I think the Bible verse to write next to this one would be Colossians 1.15, so C-O-L. 115, the Son is the image of the invisible God. That's what that verse says. The Son is the image, you can see him, of the invisible God. When you see Jesus, you are actually seeing God. Wesley stays with this theme in the next line, hail the incarnate deity. Hail means to greet someone loudly with praise. So if you think of the song, How Great Thou Art, if you know that one, it says, when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation. That's what it means to hail him. And if you know what it means to hail, to cheer on your favorite sports team in an arena or stadium, I was in a a German soccer match once in Dortmund with 80,000 German fans just going crazy. I mean, he can't hold a candle to what it will be like when Jesus returns with shouts of acclamation. Hail the incarnate deity. And once again, we see reference to the incarnation. That God, and that deity is just a fancy word for God, that God took on human form. In the next line, we see it as well. Pleased as man with man to dwell. And the verse I'd write next to this one is John 1.14. John 1.14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So He's God. He's no less God than the Father and the Holy Spirit. And yet for our sake, God the Son willingly, even gladly, became human. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before Him 
he endured the cross. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Sometimes it's spelled with an E, sometimes with an I. It's tomato, tomato. It means the same thing. And once again, we're back in Isaiah 7.14. It's one we used before, but that's where this comes from. Isaiah 7.14 with its fulfillment in Matthew 1.23. One of the things with our high school students at youth group this fall that we've emphasized, so we've gone through different topics each week, is that Jesus was 100% human and 100% divine. He was not 50-50. Nor was he God who then morphs into human form and then morphs back to God. No, he is fully God and simultaneously fully human. And this is so critical for our story and what God did to save us. Because Only God could save us from sin. And only a human could step in as our substitute on the cross. So Wesley sings, Pleased is man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Let's go to verse 3. This is the last one that Wesley wrote. Verse 3 is a flurry of biblical images here. I think Charles Wesley probably about fell off his horse as These ideas were coming to him. It's just so profound. It's so good. It starts again with the word hail. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Where do we find prince of peace in the Bible? Isaiah 9. So you can do I-S-A. Isaiah 9, verse 6. The prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. The next title, which is from Malachi 4.2. So we flip to the end of the Old Testament. Malachi, or M-A-L, 4-2. We'll come back to that one in a moment. Light and life to all he brings. I wrote down John 8-12 next to that one. There could be others, but John 8-12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have what? The light of life. Maybe this is what Wesley was thinking about. John 8, 12. Light and life to all he brings. And then back to Malachi 4. Risen with healing in his wings. And so that whole line in Malachi goes, The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The last chapter, that's where we are in Malachi 4, the last chapter of the Old Testament, you can see how it's anticipating the coming of Christ. We continue on, it says, Mild he lays his glory by. We know the word mild from the salsa jar in the fridge or from the weather forecast, especially this year. Mild means gentle. The Son of God willingly, graciously, gently sets aside his glory. And the verse that we attach to this line, I think, is Philippians 2. So P-H-I-L for Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, and I'll, I'll summarize it a little bit here, although Christ existed in the form of God, the Son of God, he emptied himself. He laid his glory by, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in human likeness. It's the Christmas story in Philippians 2. 
And as we come into the close of the song, we're, I just want to say a, a quick word of preface before we get there. We're going to see man and sons listed in the text in a way that's going to refer to all people. So this would include the ladies as well. There is an updated version that's out there, but it is not as well stated as Wesley's original. In fact, I think a lot of modern artists have recognized this too because if you listen to modern covers of this song, they have retained Wesley's original language. But just to point out, ladies, what we're going to read here includes you as well. So here's how it goes. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. What do these lines mean to you? And by that I mean, how are they significant? I mean, how many times have you sung this over the years? Every Christmas probably somewhere, or heard it at the coffee shop or at the mall as you've shopped. But is it significant? Death is defeated in Jesus. What does that mean to you? That death is swallowed up in victory. The permanency of death, the finality of it, is undone in Jesus. We are raised up to new life in Christ. What does that mean? We are spiritually reborn. That's the second birth, as Nicodemus found out in John chapter 3. My wife's oldest brother was named John the German form of the name Johannes. And he would have been 47 years old yesterday. Would have been, but a few years ago he died very suddenly. Here one day, gone the next. In fact, he was at his desk at work and he never even got up from the desk. That's how fast it came. And so uh, my wife yesterday would just just hit with a fresh wave of grief. And some of you, I just look across this space and I I know some of your stories, you know this. You know what this feels like. And we were thinking yesterday of our nieces and our nephew who were just little kids when this happened and who are growing up all these years, these formative years, without their dad. We think of his wife, who is having to bear something that you just can't imagine when you say, I do, at the altar. We think of his grave at a cemetery in Germany, cold and dreary this time of year. What do these lines mean to you? How are you hearing them? How are you receiving them? That the Son of God emptied himself for you. He laid his glory by and he came to earth as a baby. He grew up in our shoes. Bible says he knows our suffering. He knows our pain. He knows our temptation. What does it mean that he gave his life on the cross for you? That He was raised up from the grave and that in him, in relationship with him, as you trust him, you have new life in Christ. 
These are the very things that captured Charles Wesley. You know, he was Oxford educated. He could have had a cushy, successful career in life in London. But these are the things, the most important things in life that got him on a horse, rode him all the way across England, all the way to America. He was so captivated by these truths, as was his mother. And my prayer for you from table to table is that these things would capture or recapture your heart and your mind this final week of Christmas. Let's pray together. Lord, it's good to be still before you. For many of us, I suppose it would be a, it's a pretty busy Sunday. We have probably some other things to do today, uh, certainly this week. And we pray, Lord, that we would have these hushed moments just to, to set it all aside and to have our eyes fixed once again on our Savior and what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life with you. That you see us in, in darkness, in pain, in separation from you. And you come to us, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be on the move in our hearts and minds as we're about to sing this song, as we continue to open your word and, and read these Wonderful promises. I pray, Lord, for any of us who have have yet to know you in this way, that this would be a decisive day, a decisive moment as we hear about you and we place our trust in you and your salvation. For those who've been following you, Lord, for some time, maybe for many years, I pray this story would not lose its luster but that you would reawaken us, draw us close to you. Lord, we praise you.